Well, good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. And our top story today, we're going to take a closer look at the state of retirement of the U.S. workforce. And joining me now to break it all down, John Lowell of October 3. John, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Jeff, it's wonderful to be back with you. I always like these appearances with you. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking about the state of retirement. And um, I guess my first question to you, let's, let's kind of start from a baseline. How has work and the worker changed over the last 50 years? You know, it's an interesting question. It really is a good question to start things off. And um, neither you nor I were in the workforce 50 years ago, so we're going a little bit anecdotally on that. But frankly, 50 years ago, um, from certainly from what I remember, by the time somebody was probably about 30 years old, they were with what was likely their last employer. So whatever job they had then, they might get some promotions. There was a chance they might transfer somewhere within the company, but they were fairly likely with the company that they were going to uh, going to spend the rest of their career with. And they had every plan, in the case of most people, of retiring probably somewhere between the age of, we'll say, late 50s and about 65. Yeah. And John, um, so that begs the question, is the U.S. retirement system, as it's constructed today, suited for this new approach to work, people working longer? Um, So the question is, is 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 it suited towards the worker today and beyond 2023? Somebody might argue with me on this, and in fact, they probably do, but I think it's not. I think that the current retirement system does a couple of things that aren't really working in 2023 and presumably for the years immediately and maybe long-term following as well. Again, going back 50 years or 40 years, So much then there was a large dependence by the employee on their employer to be providing their core retirement benefits. So it was that employer provided retirement benefit to supplement social security or thought thinking of it maybe differently, you had that core retirement benefit that would be supplemented by social security. Savings plans existed, but they were typically back then what we knew as thrift plans, after-tax plans. And um, the whole concept of the 401k wasn't even put into the law until 1978 and didn't get mass adoption until probably seven to 10 years later than that. So there have been really big changes. Um But again, back then, we had a very homogeneous workforce in that to a large extent, whoever you were working for at age 30 to 35 was probably who you were retiring from. And you were probably retiring somewhere between that late 50s and age 65 timeframe. So people... Everybody was shooting for the same goal at roughly the same time. Today, that's not really the case. Everybody's got a different idea. People are starting in the workforce later. 
even though a lot of them are not happy with it anymore or indicate they're not happy, there's much more job hopping. And we're seeing people have to prepare for retirement on their own without a lot of employer support. What we're seeing as a result of that is there just aren't as many people who are what a lot of what a lot of firms out there refer to as on track to retire. Yeah. And, you know, John, unemployment is relatively low, under 5%, which is considered by ec economists at full employment. And a lot of employers are now focused on attracting and retaining employees because you said the competition's fierce. People are moving around. We no longer stay in the same company for years and years and years. How are employers viewing retirement through that lens, through creating the best retirement plan possible to attract and retain their employees? That's another really good question. And I, I think it does vary a fair amount. Um, one of the things that really, um, for me, confirmed my thinking in this area was a meeting that I had with a client not that long ago, um, was certainly during the summer this year. And it was a large company um, that has historically provided good pension benefits to their employees. And they made the decision to freeze that pension for most of their employees. And the, um, the executive that we were meeting with said, it's not something that we've measured, but it's really clear that our turnover, our unwanted turnover has increased since we froze the accruals in the pension. And um, I thought about that for a little bit. And I asked, I said, how does that align with corporate goals? And he said, really poorly. We depend on keeping people for the long term. There's, for many of our employees, there's a learning curve. And what we're finding is this unwanted turnover is very expensive. He said, I'm, I have dissenters within the company, but he did say that his own view was that the cost of the unwanted turnover exceeded the cost of providing those additional retirement benefits. And that's a, it's an interesting way of thinking about it from the corporate standpoint, but it kind of made my eyes light up because it's the same thing I've been telling employers. So to hear it unprompted from someone on the other side felt, um, you know, it felt kind of confirming to me. Yeah, I mean, certainly vindicating. And and I want to, you know, you talk a little bit about the perspective of the employer. Let's talk about the inspect, inspect the perspective. I can't get it out this morning of the employee. How are they thinking about savings? Um, by all accounts, every poll I read, John, people are concerned about their own savings. Are concerned whether or not they're on track. So, um, how are they viewing retirement and benefits? And also, can you cut it by generation? Because to different generations, people our age might view it very differently because we're closer than younger people, younger generations. Um, Jeff, that's a third really good question in a row. And in the case of this one, um, there are a number of measures that I think people in our industry use. There are different ways that different surveys look at it. Um, there are a few in particular that I have seen this year that have really stuck with me, both in terms of the questions they've asked and the data points they've produced. 
one of them asks, um, and I don't remember exactly the words they use, but essentially, what is the single most important thing that you are thinking about as a worker wanting to get to retirement? And the number one choice by a fairly broad margin was, I want to have financial independence in retirement. And what that meant to them was the ability to have lifetime income from the time they retired until they died without concern of outliving their wealth. And that's, it's something we're not seeing a whole lot. Another survey that I think is really telling, and I don't remember where this came from, but the question that was asked was, does your ability to retire someday at an age that you plan to, or the lack of ability to do so cause you to lose sleep at night? And more than 65% of the respondents said, yes, I sleep less because I feel pretty certain that I'm not going to be able to do that. That's not, while it's a very revealing data point, that's not a good data point. We, we grew up with the American dream and part of that American dream was we were gonna get to retire and live a nice long retirement on our own terms. We're not seeing it. So when you ask about the different generations, so for the baby boomers who are not yet retired, they fall into two categories. Those who are working because they wanna work, they can retire. They have no worries about retiring. And those who are working because they have to work. Those are the people, and there are large percentages of them say, I've got to work forever because I can never retire. The Gen Xers were in even a tougher position because a lot of them started in the workforce with a pension and that pension was taken away from them before they had any meaningful accruals. So they've been on their own. They've had to use that 401k plus the match. But if they didn't start saving right away, they're in big trouble. Instead of having to save 10% or 15% out of every paycheck to get to retirement, the fact that they delayed it means that 10 to 15% for many of them became 20 to 25%. And that's just not something that most of them can do. As we get to the younger generations, it's a trickier dynamic to figure out exactly what's going on. People are starting in the workforce at later ages. They're also changing their lives at later ages. So they are delaying getting married in a lot of cases. They're delaying buying homes. They are delaying having kids. A lot of them are not saving um, like many of us did to put their kids through college. I think they're, they're just kind of assuming, well, are, if my kids want to go to college, they're going to have to pay for their own college. And it wasn't something that many in our generation grew up with. So there's so many different dynamics going on. And I think one of the things that that calls for, and you may come back to it later on, is the whole idea that benefit programs now, both from an employee standpoint, because they're asking for it, but also from an employer standpoint, because they realize that it's a way to differentiate themselves in a positive way with their employees, it all needs to be personalized. It needs to fit each of those generations 
and each demographic within those generations. Yeah, a really good point, John. I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about the state of U.S. retirement, and we're going to give John a blank slate. What would he do? You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. We're joined this morning by John Lowell of October 3. John, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. My pleasure, Jeff. Um, always really good to talk with you. Yeah, well, this is, uh, I think this is a fun conversation, important conversation. Hopefully a lot of plan sponsors out there listening as they're sitting in their investment committees, their retirement committees, and their benefit committee meetings. Uh, John, I want to give you a blank slate. And I want you to say, uh, if you were building a retirement system today, right now, or revamping a retirement system, what would it look like? How would it differ from what we currently have? This, you know, this 401k defined contribution only system for 95, 90% of Americans. You know, I really like the way you put that. I, when I ask the same question, I tend to use very slightly different words, but I think they mean the same thing to everybody. When I, when I'm on the uh, on your side of the camera, I tend to ask people um, if I gave you a clean sheet of paper, if you were starting your program today, what would you put on that piece of paper? So it's very much the same thing. And again, looking at the different generations, so I've got my few baby boomers at this point that I still really want to keep. And I've got my Gen Xers who in a lot of cases represent, they represent the experience in the business. The people where the cost of turnover is going to be pretty significant to me. And then I've got, I guess, next in line are the millennials. And then I've got the Gen Zs who are just coming into my workforce. And we talked before the break about how they all have different needs, they have different wants, they have different behaviors, 
Um, they're in different positions in their lives. They have different challenges. One of the consistencies among all of them is this whole financial thing and the whole idea of can I at some point retire and not outlive my wealth? That's keeping them all up at night. That survey data is markedly similar among all those different generations. And I think that's really key here. So if I were building things with that blank slate, what I what I need to start with is I need to start with something that is flexible enough to adopt to all the different generations. I think a 401k plan or something that looks like a 401k plan is essentially a have to have. You really can't compete in the war for talent if you don't have a 401k plan, probably with a match, unless you're giving something else that is significant enough that you can say, we don't need to give you that match because here's something else we're giving you that's even better. But if you're doing that, you do need to sell it to them. But some other things that we've learned over the years, participants, employees, whatever you want to call them, they understand a chunk of money. If you can show them an account balance and allow them to watch it grow, that's something they understand. But the other thing that they want is they know that if you give them an account balance when they retire, so many of them are, you know, okay, now I have this chunk of money. What do I do with it? So they feel the need to get lifetime income out of it. And there's really a conundrum between the two of those. So what I want to do is I want people to have a core retirement plan that gives them an account balance while they're in their workforce, while they're in their work life. But when they retire, it converts or at least by default, it converts into this guaranteed lifetime income. But by the same token, the guaranteed lifetime income may be plenty for them, or it might not be enough. So I want to be able to tell them, you know, if you don't think you have enough, I'm going to let you use that other plan, that 401k plan that was just building up an account balance. I'm going to let you buy some more lifetime income with it. And the way we think you should do that is the core plan is going to be what, what we usually refer to as a market return cash balance plan. So it is a defined benefit plan that's based on an account balance. And that account balance grows every year with returns that you can get on some actual pool of investments. When you get to retirement, that turns into lifetime income. And if that lifetime income is less than you think you need, we want you to go, go and look at your 401k plan and say, am I willing to give some of that up to turn around and buy myself more lifetime income? There are other bells and whistles that you can throw into it, and we certainly recommend that they do that. But as a core plan and a supplemental plan, that's the basics of what we think is the right set of building blocks right now to get people from wherever they are today into retirement at a reasonable age. John, you talked about the different generations. 
And um, obviously they have different needs, different wants. There are different stages of life. How does that fit in with personalization? Does the personalization come down to how they're communicated to, or does it come down to how the plan is actually structured? For example, giving a certain type of employer match to a certain employee population versus another employee population or other contributory ben contributory benefits. I can't talk today, John, uh, to, to certain groups. How does that personalization fit into the retirement plan of the future? That it might not, Jeff, be so much necessarily personalization by generations, but I think generations are part of it. So if we were to look at, we'll just say Gen Xers, if we were to look at two Gen Xers, um, they might be two people who are very similarly situated, or they might be very different. One of them might be married. Another one might be unmarried. One might have kids. The other one might not have kids. Um, one might be somebody who basically spends everything they have during their working lifetime. One might be somebody who is a natural saver. So you've got all these things going on that are different. One might be looking at a long life expectancy. One might be anticipating a short life expectancy. So what we this is the whole reason that we view that you have a core plan that is largely the same for everybody in your workforce or the same for everybody in a particular segment of your workforce. But then you also have this supplemental savings plan, and that gives each individual the opportunity through their 401k to save additional money. If you, when you look at your own personal circumstances, if you need more lifetime income, we want you to be able to use that to buy more lifetime income. And we want to do it through the plan. We don't feel that there's a need to go out and buy an annuity from somebody else. If you, if you get it through the qualified plan, you're doing it on what we call an actuarial equivalent basis, which means there's no middleman. You're getting it at a fair price. So we want you to be able to do that through the plan. But when you do it, if you are the person that needs a lot more, you're taking this benefit program that we've built for you and you're personalizing it for yourself. We don't know your needs as an individual, but you know your needs, or at least we hope you know your needs. And so we're giving you the facility with which to take what we've given you, plus the other opportunities we've given you, and to take that and personalize it for yourself. And I think the messaging behind that can be really strong because if we tell you, we're giving you something here, we are providing a core benefit for you. But in addition to that, we know that your circumstances and my circumstances might be very different. And we're going to let you take that supplemental amount and do with it what you think is right for you. Communicated properly, that's a really, really powerful message, I think. We're building a benefit that you can mold around your own needs, not around the needs of the person in the desk next to you. If you have a desk 
or the person on the other end of the Zoom call if you do everything virtually. Yeah, I, I mean, John, I, as you talked about today, all these challenges that people have outliving their money, if they have enough money, consumer debt. I wonder if you could just spend a minute, I wanna tie, bring it all back together for both the employer and the employee, because look, there is a combined, a mutual benefit here for both parties. The employer wants the employee to be attracted and, and stay. And the employee wants to stay, I think, as long as they see progression in terms of salary compensation and other benefits. So, so how, do you, how, do you, how do you bring it all together for both parties to understand collectively? Well, I think, Jeff, from, from an employer standpoint, it's so much about workforce management. It's about attracting employees. It's about retaining employees. But one of the other things that it's about is if you have employees and you've done a really good job of retaining them, but you can't get them out of the workforce at some point in time, you've got a real workforce management problem. So if I'm in management and you can't get rid of me at any point because I can't afford to retire, you can't take a younger person and move them into management because there's just no spot for them. So you have a real upward mobility challenge. And I, all of these, the attraction, the retention, and the upward mobility, when an employer fails at any of them, I think it's a big failure and it's an expensive failure. When you lose that young talent early on and they go to a competitor, you've trained them but you've trained them for somebody else and that's gotta be the wrong message. From an employee standpoint, well, you'd love to go to a company that you wanna be with. And among the things that employees are really asking for, they wanna be in a culture that works for them. Now, the softer parts of the culture, it's really hard to influence them with retirement plans. I'm, I'll be open about that. I can't make you love work because you have a great retirement plan. But if you already love work and I build a retirement plan that because you know it's going to meet your needs, it improves your mental health, that does a lot for you. If you love your job and you get a good night's sleep every night because you're not worried about your finances, that's got to make things so much better. Well, I talked about the culture. The other thing is the upward mobility. It's one of the things that the millennials are screaming for these days. Why would I want to stay with a company if I have no future? Why not just jump around and keep getting pay increases and pay increases? Maybe eventually I'll find something. Well, if I find something today and I can see a promotion right in front of me, and I just have to perform really well because I see that manager is either getting promoted to a higher job or they're going to retire. And then when I move up into that role, I see another promotion on the horizon and there's lots of opportunity for me. You don't see it in the news broadcasts all the time because it's not quite as sensational as people jumping around. But I think the person who says, I've got a great future here, and I can do it at this company in this place, and I don't have to move my family all over the place, and I've got a level of stability. I think that really works for people regardless of the generation. And I think the programs that we're trying to help employers build 
will help them to do exactly that for their employees. Yeah, and imagine how it's going to reduce the anxiety that you're talking about. That Look, that sleep, whether you're a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old, it's, it's very important. And you don't want your stress level and your anxiety to go up. John, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Jeff, thank you. I look forward to it as well. And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news in lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives? Check out our latest content and visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRNAM. We'll have a very special guest, another great topic. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.